0: Why don't we kick this off? How to extract people from cults. Have you ever had to do that, Luke? <laughs>
1: not, not, not yet, but maybe it'll come <laughs> up in the future. <laughs> this, this
0: is something that happened recently. I won't go into too much detail cause I don't want people to actually identify <laughs> who it is at all, but this is very pertinent to today's episode. So I had a young person who was caught in an environment, which seemed very I- innocent on the surface. And they're a service provider for young people doing their job, doing what they think is right. Now the person started showing up to their venue and participating, because they were invited by a friend, right? Quite classic. Now you're not normally suspecting of your friends, mm. right? You, you think, cool, going with my friend, they go to this thing. They love it. No obvious thing that it wasn't religious, right? So it's not like an obvious cult like thing. Yeah. Um, but they, they start going, but the first time they go, they have a gut feel that it's a little bit off. Mm. Okay. Now I think we've all, we all relate to that feeling. So they have a gut like feeling that it's off, but, the, and they say to their friend that regularly goes, Hey, does this feel weird to you? Cause the person running this thing, everyone kind of cowers to them. Like they're an idol. Everyone's kind of deifies them and keeps coming back, keeps spending a lot of money to be here not seeming to really get any benefit out of it and, and said this to the friend and the friend goes, no, like, what are you talking about? Like absolutely unsuspecting. It's kind of this idea you're in a bubble. You got no idea when you're in a, in a bubble, everything feels like reality. Mm. And so I started talking to this young person and I, was, I was, and they're talking about some of the things going on and it was just like a process of calmly bringing to their attention. I guess some of the realities about the situation they're in and reflecting it back to them and then trying to get out of this environment, the leadership of this organization provided a lot of kickback and kind of exploded and it got hostile. Yeah. There's a lot of like arguing and, and threats and stuff like that. So the aftermath of this was like this person feeling very guilty for being duped and thinking I'm kind of stupid and, like, how does this happen? And also, how does my friend get me into this situation and say they're my friend? But also, how does my friend not see this? And as one of these occasions, I was really kind of, I feel like for some reason or another, I've learned. I feel like I've learned a lot about human behavior. I'm not. I'm nowhere near as uh, good at understanding human behavior as today's kind of uh, topical thought leader, Robert Green. the great Robert Green. But for whatever reason, I feel like I've picked up stuff. Life life experience teaches us all basic amount. And it's one of the few instances I get in a, on a day-to-day basis to really uh, share that and apply that to other people. And so we all end up in these situations, but it, we are in workplaces with other people, right? And that's something you everyone's going to participate in. More or less you're in, uh, you're in, uh, family dynamics. And you're in relationship dynamics all the time. And today, yeah, we're going to talk about Robert Greene. And I want to talk about it because people are walking around unarmed and unaware of the deeper complex. And everyone's quite naive. <laughs> Everyone is quite naive, unsuspecting, and the human behavior is incredibly complex There's a lot of people who think they're doing very good stuff in the world that are causing a lot of damage. And and we're all kind of walking around vulnerable. I almost put you in a similar position years ago, if you remember that story. Right? Not going right. to talk about it now. But remember, uh, I referred yes, you to take a yeah, yeah, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. and someone yeah. tried to get you to pay thousands. Sure, of billions, sure. Very. Uh, which that's was not a, what uh, I was. That's,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's a great example, actually. That's yeah. a great
0: example. Speaking around it, someone seemed to have good intentions. Was doing personal development stuff. Wanted me to participate in this stuff as a bit of like, uh, you're slightly ahead of my average kind of customer. I'd be good. And you could, you know, happy to support this person. Start to get a bit like I had the gut Mm. feel, that gut feel keep coming back to it. The gut feel, the gut feel. And then I talked to you about it. You were asking, you saw this person on social media, you're saying, is that stuff any good? I go, it's not for me, but if you want to work on whatever, if it's confidence, if it's mindset, whatever, give it a go, have a conversation person tried to over was it shopping center lunch
1: yeah I I mean yeah I attended I attended the cafe and yeah had a conversation just a general general conversation and then basically you do did get that distinct gut feel that something was like things are not really things are not really adding up simply because you can't really see what the actual purpose is but there's a lot of enthusiasm and energy which can you know can blind you essentially yep. if you're not careful so yep. yeah that was that was a that's a good example
0: yeah and a little like pressure applied so yes. where people will see this a lot young people uh, particularly younger people you'd be very careful in the personal development world i plan to do we plan to do in the next big series a whole episode on that there's some very strange subculture things happening in the personal development world not all personal development is like that but there is large portions of it so that's just a pre-frame of like why this is important and how it's relevant. So context is we're going to do an episode today on Robert Green, who's the author of a whole bunch of books, very long, very mm. dense, very intense awesome. books, very controversial books, actually. Mm. And I want to talk with you, Luke, cause you're also like a fan of Robert Green and I want to talk to you why I think you can use it very ethically. I certainly tried to use the insights from his books very ethically. And to give people context who haven't heard of Robert Greene, I'll give you some of the titles and you'll get the gist. 48 Laws of Power. I think it's the 33 Strategies of War. I believe it's the, four, I always forget the numbers, 48 Laws of Human Nature. Is it 48? I can't remember. Uh, I
1: think it's just Laws of Human Nature. Oh, Laws nature. of, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Just the
0: Laws of Human nation, Nature and The Art of Seduction. I don't know if there's a. Oh, he did a book with Fifty Cent as well. I can't remember what that's called. And he's worth the fiftieth law. I think it was the fiftieth law. And
1: his books are basically if they were YouTube videos, they're clickbait. But
0: they're it's... clickbait, correct? And mm. the content of his books is a lot of, and normally his style is a lot of anecdotes from history about very often manipulative or certainly very effective, but also very manipulative and very dysfunctional characters from history and how they were behaving and using. A particular law deep rarely known thing about human behavior how they were using it or manifesting it in their life so like 48 laws of power is normally people using it strategically to get ahead in a status game or become king or whatever and say in art of seduction it's people wooing other people in laws of human nature they're more stories around people who grow up with a particular childhood dynamic and explains their say from nixon to Cleopatra, to uh, like Napoleon, he's Napoleon, Coco Chanel and all these people I didn't know as well, he's got all these like examples. So it's fascinating, but they're very long and very dense and very intense. So we want to try and take it. So often people I always talk about Robert Greene. They go, Ooh, you know, they give it that, that kind of icky feeling. And I'm going to make the case that it's not, I don't think it's uh, negative. So I'm gonna talk about that. I've got kind of seven key things I think are really important that we plan to go through Luke. So that's initially not using or trusting our intuition, gut feel. Number two, success is more dangerous than failure. Number three, understanding shadow and how our shadow gets created. Everyone has a shadow. Sounds scary, find out more. Four, you create how others react to you. I hope my mother's listening to this. Uh, Number five, the three layers on which behavior builds number six, impact of childhood on personality types and number seven, getting inside the mind of others to understand them and lead with empathy. So that's a bit of the roadmap. They're not the only things we'll talk about a bit of housekeeping. So we've started doing longer episodes. So I just want to acknowledge that change the format because I thought it was better than doing daily. Luke's happy because you'll get to ask more questions. Now, Luke has retained his place congratulate him ladies and gentlemen also you'll be seeing us on youtube now so this is being video is being captured also on the youtube channel which is linked in the description there are some other videos that are not actually on the podcast so if you listen on somewhere like spotify or apple you can actually go get additional content the the one-off kind of animated videos and stuff we're doing now you can subscribe or just check it out on youtube just so you know there is other stuff happening than it's just on spotify and apple and then always just like for updates and basic insights from the episode of the week, the newsletter is in the uh, description. So yeah, that's basically the housekeeping out of the way. It's a big sigh of relief, and let's get into this for a, an hour plus change, Luke, on the big the big enigma that's Robert Green. So I've yapped a fair bit. I'm very excited. Why, why don't you talk about how you got introduced to Robert Green and maybe one of one of the ideas mm. that you've taken away from him so far, you did your prep for this.
1: I think um, Robert Green, how did I get, it goes back a while. I actually started reading 48 Laws of Forty Eight Laws of Power and I, I experienced a thing where I was um, actually a little bit turned off by it initially. And this probably dates back quite a while ago just because I did have that frame of mind where it's very manipulative. I, I wasn't approaching it from a, I would say it's like the if you read how to win friends and influence people and then you read that the contrast is so it's like the most ridiculous contrast and I'm pretty <laughs> sure I was in that I'm pretty sure yeah. I was in that frame of mind yeah and then tried to read 48 laws of power which is which is pretty confronting but I mean it's pretty it's pretty realistic it depends what dynamic you're in but I think he refers very specifically to certain industries like the music industry, the movie, like Hollywood and stuff like that, yeah, where it's he a little had a lot bit of a experience in Hollywood. Yeah. He yes. influenced
0: the Fort Eight Laws of Power, his first book. Yep. I'll talk about his context in a bit. Yeah. It's it's all influenced by Hollywood, but not mentioning Hollywood.
1: Yeah, so that was my entrance to it. I think actually after joining Constance Student and just getting a little bit more into different things, I went back to it and explored Laws of Human Nature, which actually connected it a, a little bit more with me. I think I was a little bit yeah, more mature. That was my introduction. Yeah. Logic. Yeah. And, and basically started looking, it's almost like, um, just trying to look at things, how they are, and then look at you it's, it's almost like a form of meditation, if that wow. makes sense Powerful. because you, yeah, like observing your thoughts and whatever, and then you could say, okay, maybe this is how human nature is a little bit more accurate as opposed to. The sort of the masks that everyone put up yeah like the yeah so it goes deep into that and um also listen to quite a few interviews he's 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 done some great interviews on youtube with various so people good to watch yeah, yeah
0: for anyone who wants to go he's deep
1: great camp. to listen to
0: he's a good um, speaker yeah yeah.
1: he's a good speaker and very calm and just nice to listen I, to I told him.
0: you about that clip with lewis House. <laughs> so if anyone doesn't know lewis hows is so it's there's such a contrast, right? Lewis Howes. what's the what's the podcast? Uh, mental blank. What's his that's his thing?
1: You, you actually you pulled me up on that as well. being like it's a little bit. Yeah, no. But what's what's, what's Lewis different. Howes'
0: podcast name? I've had a mental blank. School of Greatness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Robert Green was his first ever guest. And for anyone doesn't know, Lewis Howes, is the biggest teddy bear in the world. He's so sweet, like you just cannot yeah. dislike that guy. And then he's talking to Robert Green because Robert Green had all these experiences in Hollywood working for these manipulative people and he was excelling in the role. And then he got fired because he was excelling because obviously like the, the dynamics of this person's a threat and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And so Lewis Howes is like, but I don't understand, like, wouldn't you just like be happy for your success? Like you're working together and, and that's like, they uplift you. And like, I don't, I don't get it. And then, cause it's such a big, just, you know, kind of Teddy bear and yeah. Robert Greene's just like, Oh, Oh Lewis. Oh, it's like, <laughs> people have egos <laughs>
1: <laughs> that might, I guess where he's coming from, that might work out in one scenario, but in this specific scenario, obviously it's like he didn't pay attention to the fact yeah, that well, the, actually uh,
0: 50 cents so For anyone who's intimidated an early disclaimer, 50 cent, who is good friends with Robert green, which is, that's funny. Yeah. Um, he says like never be afraid to just take one big lesson from a book He goes, Mm. for example i only remember the first law from 48 laws of power laws of power and it's made me millions and millions of dollars Mm. and and that rule is never outshine the master which is Mm. exactly that thing that got him fired like when you uh, have a boss or a mentor i've heard this a lot with people who have older mentors and they start showing promise so many people love mentoring people for their ego Mm. And once you overtake a mentor, you start to get confused when they shut you out because you're threatening their success. You're threatening their image of themselves. So yeah, it's big. I I really, as I go through the, as we go through these seven things together, the big idea I think is, or the, some of the big ideas, I really think of Robert Greene, I think of self mastery,
1: Mm.
0: right? And not many people are willing to give you the real view of everyone else is too cuddly when they write about human behavior. Normally I like that. He's just no bullshit power, like he thinks of power, he thinks power is a negative connotation. He says it has to do with your daily life, like the power of yourself, right? Mm. And he said in an interview, we don't control 95% of our daily lives. Okay. Does that make sense to you, Luke? Like we don't control 95% of our daily lives.
1: In the sense that we don't control the environment and things around us. We don't
0: control the environment and the things around us, Mm -hmm. but we also really don't control our conditioning. Mm. Okay. So if I, for example, let's say you had to go kill (laughs) your own, like kill an animal for dinner and, and chop it up, right? Yourself. Like, is that something that you would naturally do and feel comfortable doing? No. No. Right. If it was me, I'd probably get sick. Yeah. Yet our ancestors did that like every day for a living, right? Mm. And so they did it without flinching, I'm sure. So why do we get sick? What is it? It's like, oh, but it's so disgusting. It's such a thought you would never question that cutting up a dead, an, a living animal, is disgusting. But no, you're conditioned to think that way, and you don't control a lot of your gut reactions to stuff. On the on an emotional level, where you do, you tend to feel like you have more control. You don't quite have as much control as you think. You really think that you author a lot of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, you, you like 95% is a crude approximation. Really, it could be 99% that you don't control. It could be 80% you don't control. It's impossible to actually nail, but so much of your, not only your environment and what happens to you, but also internally, how you're conditioned to react to things. Like you don't control when you get afraid, right? It's not a, it's not a button on a remote. You don't control that stuff. So if, if that's the reality, you do have a small locus of control and we'll get into like, you want to talk, I think you want to talk about that. We'll go through Sam Harris at one point and talk about the free will thing. Mm-hmm. But basically the game of life is a large part using the 5% of control you do have to influence the 95%. For example, I can't stop that like repulsive feeling towards a dead animal. But if I expose myself to that and get used to it, I would overcome it and i might not like the environment where i'm being made to feel insecure but i could change that environment and then i would almost control a bit more what happens to me by putting myself in a better environment so this implies internally and externally it's a lot of self mastery and then therefore you can master how you control your environment a lot more and it's basically you know we're conditioned because of evolution right so The other thing I think is big, he gets paid a lot by, as a consultant to fly all over the world, to all these really rich people who need his help understanding people and human behavior. Cause he says, we choose the wrong business partners. We choose the wrong romantic partners. And this ruins our lives. Like you're hiring, choosing, this is one of the biggest things I've seen. People are very bad at choosing people for roles in their companies. You know, it, it's it's normally like a very intellectual exercise, and it's very hard to actually understand people and when they're going to fit into a role or not. And I have friends who run companies tell me these shocking stories of people who got, you know, you did you did the smallest thing, you don't know why it upset someone, and they rage quit or they attacked you. Like we're so, and romantic partners, it happens all the time. We're so bad at it. It's one of the it's the most important thing, but like no one understands it. So hopefully, like today, you'll be getting closer. I think, you know, that's just, it's just so big,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: it's so big. So the context is he, he has like a lot of Robert green, a lot of mixed backgrounds and education experience. He studied like very random things at college, like ancient Greek and all this sort of stuff, uh, and a broad range of like employment experiences. So he was in London. He used to travel a lot from London, to Greece, to all this. He, so he worked for all these different people and had all these like bad Conflicts with bosses and stuff like that, and so his natural, the place he comes from, the context behind everything, is he empathizes with the underdog, kind of like that young person I was talking about at the start, and he's trying to like give them an even, uh, even playing field in terms of like these are the characters you come up against in life, this is how you deal with them, and this is how you control your path, and. If anything helps you, people like you, Luke, who have that initial queasy reaction to Robert Green, it's as interesting. Like he points out people who we kind of revere who use strategies like the stuff he writes about. So Gandhi, he makes examples of like Gandhi and Martin Luther King. So when I say Gandhi, Martin Luther King, you, you just think what, you know, great world leader, inspirational. Yeah. Mm. he's like, Gandhi, so think about Gandhi, right? What was the big, what What was Gandhi's method for dealing with the British? How did they go about it? Do you remember? Do you know was, anything about it?
1: No, not in particular. I know it was very uh, peace-focused. Peace-focused,
0: right? Non-violent. Yep. yep. And so Gandhi, he points out, is quite strategic, right? He's thinking, I want the British out of India. right. So immediately you're becoming strategic Mm. thinking very strategically about things is incredibly rare. I don't, I don't see it very often and Gandhi is strategic and he knows if they go and fight people. So yes, you've got the peaceful thing, right? Which is no, we want to do it peacefully. And I'm sure there's a bit of it, but just consider this when you go and fight the British and you're attacking them and stuff, it's so easy for the British or anyone to go and say, look, they're attacking us. They're savages, they're animals, right? Mm. It's kind of like the news reporter that goes and aggravates someone who's ripping off the elderly, you know, evening news and they go, look how aggressive they are. They hit us in the camera. It's it's that right. But when you're positioned as look, these people are not fighting back and we're killing them or beating them up or whatever, eventually support for the British in India starts to erode in other places. So it's PR. Part of it is PR Martin Luther King, you know, Martin Luther King, he, this is Robert Green, not me, but Robert Green says Martin Luther King is very smart because they did, they had all these marches and in Birmingham and stuff like that. And they'd get 13 and 14 year olds, right? Marching. And then the, the kind of repressing authorities would be imprisoning 13 and 14 year olds and stuff, which is again, like a really, eventually that starts to like, stir up the decision makers and get public support over to the MLK side. So, you know, like PR and being very strategic, you know, this is, this is the the means of being effective, I think in the world. And, you know, I think the average kind of constant student is kind of like you, Luke, and maybe less like me, very, very sweet, very open-minded, very caring people. But without, without a lot of the like behind the scenes plotting, Mm. and I'll be very transparent that I do a lot of behind the scenes plotting, (laughs) it's not announced publicly in podcast episodes, but I'm willing to admit it because I think, I think you desire to be effective. And this is the way I look at it. Like I'm not here to be ineffective. Okay. I'm here to be effective. that's, that's the aim. So let's go into it. Number one, one of the biggest ones, the biggest ideas was. We don't initially trust our intuition and we had the story at the start around we've all been in that situation where you've got the gut feel, right? Where so-and-so is not right. Something's up or the thing they're trying to promote is, is there's something not right about it. And I've had it in some situations, I think one was eating dodgy Nepalese food, for example, I remember being in Nepal and my friend buys these sausages and we don't refrigerate them and we take them up the mountains and they're all having them. But I think, oh, is that, is that going to be, make me feel good later? And then literally in that case, there was a bad gut feeling because I got, um, ill in my (laughs) stomach. So that's, that's when you got to trust your, your gut feeling, but (laughs) obviously I, there's other situations that it applies and there's always a, it's always there. Like the gut, the gut feel Luke is just always.
1: It is. I do have a, so often it's hard to distinguish between like a bad gut feel or something that makes you uncomfortable that you should do.
0: Yeah. It's tricky. Do you, know what I mean? do you, do you have a way of filtering?
1: Well, typically if you feel fearful about something, but you know, you, you're kind of, you kind of know it's the right thing to do from a, I guess, maybe call it a strategic level or, yeah. you know, it'll better you, but maybe, maybe you fear you might be embarrassed or something like that. Yeah. That's pr- actually a good, that's probably a side, something to the side. The gut feel is more like something's wrong here.
0: Yeah. You could, you gotta be careful cause this can get confusing. Because mm. what I think intuition is, put it this way, intuition is essentially absent from our education system. Yeah, it is like ninety five percent of what you should listen to.
1: Yeah. So can right? you make that So the
0: reason why it's so hard to put in the education system is it is because it is a very non intellectual force.
1: You can't put it in a paragraph. Therefore,
0: PowerPoint. you're not gonna put it in a paragraph. You're not going to draw a chart on the whiteboard and say, "Guys, this is where your intuition is." When you get this gut feeling in your tummy, kiddies, make sure you listen to the gut tummy feeling, kiddies. Uh, <laughs> the, the place, the place of training, the place of training it, I think, is all right, guys. We're going to do this today. How do you feel about doing this? And it's like reps, training by reps right? Like, oh, I didn't listen to my gut that time and I did something I wasn't. So you might want to break it down, right? Things to work on, things to work on. When you get a feeling, every time I've had a feeling like, I feel like I should do that, but I don't really want to. I wish I'd listened to the gut.
1: So that's the, that's, that's that's actually the gut saying you should
0: stay away from it. Right. I think, I think, let me say it again. Every time I've had a feeling that I should do something, but I don't, my gut is like, I don't really want to do that. Mm. Versus you say, you messaged me before, not long to go till the podcast, woo, you sent me a WhatsApp message, right? That's, Mm. that's excitement for something to do, right? That's, that's what you want. That's a positive compass signal. But when it's like, oh, I have to do like another podcast episode this week, but I've got to do it because I do the podcast and that's my thing that mm. is you're not listening to the gut mm. and unless it is just a really one-off like it's always easier this goes against the hard work mantra we're drilled on i don't i think the hard work you'll be careful people say hard work but they might have actually enjoyed the hard work whereas there's hard work which is like just put up with each shit because the there'll be a reward in it yeah and so hard work versus you'll be careful so I do think with work, personally, not trying to just completely generalize, but every time I've had the intuition that, oh, I really want to do that, and it's also a productive thing to do, that's positive. It's too hard to actually just be logical about what you should do, right?
1: you you, you got to combine. There's got to be a combination of yeah, okay. logical is one Luke, process. what's the
0: smartest thing for you to do in your career right now? on a purely logical level. So don't worry about how you feel about it.
1: I can't, I, it's impossible it's Impossible
0: to answer. Cause it's like, what is yeah. it? Become a doctor, become a lawyer, become a, become the next job. Well, you Jobs. start
1: thinking, you just start thinking intellectually, but it's not going to, it's not going to align with emotion, like how exactly. you feel about it emotionally. So it's impossible, right?
0: But even emotionally is a funny word. Cause I feel like intuition, I'd say is very different from an impulse
1: but the, the thing i don't get is like intuition yeah how, how what stops you from acting on something that is that is you Intuitively. might feel yeah and then but it might not be conditioning no for example how do you it's hard to distinguish between an intuition and the right thing to do versus like something you get an idea and you're like oh, i should do that and then you've done uh, an impulse. that's an impulse okay that's an impulse i just want to make that that's yeah. an impulse now, right. don't,
0: no one will be able to intellectually listen to this and be able to, tomorrow, never mix up an impulse and an intuition.
1: That's where it's... An
0: impulse is dopamine. So it's a momentary excitement. Right? Mm, it, that's it, like it's, I want to read fleeting. for my phone. An intuition, yeah, an intuition will last longer. Mm-hmm. It'll be more enduring and it won't be as excitable. It'll be a deeper...
1: Can you say it sort of will nag at you consistently? Oh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. So always noticed... listen
0: to ideas that have been around for a while. Mm. And mm. I've noticed this within constant student. things we've been thinking about for a while persist and are much more worth doing. And then you do them. They're normally the right thing to do. Like something pans out, the world kind of falls into place to make it happen. It's fucking weird. <laughs> right. And so intuition leads us to this very deep conversation around Spirituality, but we won't quite go there today. But I feel like it's the antenna for the universe, right? That's what I think. He makes the point, Robert Green, we lose the ability to hear our inner voices through schooling. I would have to agree with that because it's so hard to teach. I almost don't blame school. It's fair. How do you say, parents, we're going to teach your children to be intuitive? Ch- parents say, I just want my child to be successful. So like, I don't, I don't really blame, like, it's just a bad system to do it. But yeah, everything is very conditioned. Like, this is what you got to know. This is what you got to do next. So you're taught to just listen out externally, not to listen internally. Every now and then someone asks you, what do you want to do? But then it's, it never, There's only so momentary compared to all the conditioning you get to just live in your head. As Ken Robinson would say, like one of those academics, they just live in their heads. And their bodies just this thing to get their heads around. <laughs> so like, for example, Derek Sivers, who I would love to have on actually himself, if he'd do it for this podcast, if not, we'll deconstruct him too. He has like the hell yes or hell no principle. I think it's the title of one of his books. So like your intuition to do something, say a career path or a project or a job or an assignment or a podcast episode or a book should be. Hell yes. Because he goes, anything yes than hell yes should be a no. Like imagine if you had that filter for your your life. But it's, it's tricky to apply again, all this stuff, because you also should try things. But when it's, the bigger the commitment, I think the more hell yes you should be. And that is the place of intuition. Because it's not, uh, like I've seen uh, Liam, for example. He has a particular, if I share an idea of what we could do, He doesn't even have a moment to think about it. He just explodes with a hell yes. It just ensues from him almost involuntarily. Mm -hmm. That I think is the power of intuition. Now I want to make time to talk about the flip side, which is there's something wrong here. And it is tricky because sometimes you are projecting onto someone, but also sometimes people give you a feeling that something's not right, that there's a piece missing. It's the most difficult thing to try and give to someone through listening to this podcast. But today it's just like a door. For example, I have a Zoom meeting with someone and they like, they'll be saying, oh, I do this thing in entrepreneurship or whatever. And so it all seems to make sense, but you just get a feeling that something's not right. Or you see the way a particular person posts on social media and it feels threatening. And often, I really think you are being receptive to that person's insecurity. And you can feel it. And I think there's lots of situations where we internalize it, saying, I'm jealous of that person or something must be wrong with me. I feel negative towards that person or I feel like they shouldn't be saying something. I think we're very hard to decipher it, but we are very receptive to other people's insecurity on an intuition level.
1: Mm, does this tie into anything that Robert Greene talks about? Oh, everything. Uh, sub- everything, because like, sub- his advice I,
0: is mm. trust your gut.
1: Well, yeah, but uh, like for example, intuition. How much? How much does that tie into subconscious? body language and tonality and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. What...
0: So there's a story, it wasn't by him, but there's <laughs> a story about a nurse who was looking at her father-in-law's face and the nurse worked in emergency response in ER you've heard the story. And wow. I think I told you maybe she was looking at him and goes, something's wrong. And he felt fine. And they're like, nothing's wrong. And then she's like, no, something's wrong. Called an ambulance. And then his face started to go blue and he had, mm. it was having a stroke. She'd seen it so many times that she'd learnt that mm. it's like Astro, the dog go make the Astro, the dog, like conditioning level awareness, but not conscious mm. awareness. So she didn't actually know what it was, but physiologically triggered a response because subconsciously recognized the early signs of stroke. Cause she'd seen it so many times and that's the intuition you develop. So when you come into body language, it's not just this magical aura necessarily that they're radiating, but sometimes you're interpreting someone's body language, the words they use, stuff like that. I'll give you the perfect example, dating, dating, and also like reaching out to people cold when it's business.
1: I was about to say something I'm not that well versed in, but anyway. Oh yeah, well,
0: (laughs) well, mate, this is the place to be, art of seduction. Because people will pick up an energy from the way you message them. And they'll ignore you based on an energy. Even if you took a a pickup line out of one of the best playbooks, there is this deep level of you subconsciously not knowing the signals you're giving away that that give yourself away. Whereas if you audit yourself, so many of the successes you have, say reaching out to people, landing a job, performing well, getting seducing someone let's say is when you just kind of fall into flow and it's quite automatic and it's Mm. quite non-intellectual and it's kind of non like So, like this power in everything of intuition huge right and we're not taught to trust it Mm, so just not taught to trust it
1: basically the the things we have developed deeply which are deeply subconscious being picking up on all these things is something that will rise and essentially right? won't even, will it rise into consciousness? Not really. It's just, a, it's just. Well, this is what sense.
0: I do, right? I'd say 2020, this lesson really hit home. And so I just gradually, gradually listen to intuition more than any other piece of information. So almost like, yeah. let's say, for example, should we do an episode on Robert Green? Instead of thinking, like, instead of thinking, oh, is that like. Marketable and is that blah 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 audience? Blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, there's a bit of that, obviously, but instead of just purely that, it's like, does that feel like the right thing to do? And then you are just pausing to like see how the idea fits with you, and then you're like, but uh, I didn't even do that because it was just like an immediate like, oh fuck,
1: like, I have yes. to do an episode on Robert Green. Robert Green, Green yeah, hundred percent.
0: All right, and see how it's non-intellectual. It doesn't mean there can't be an intellectual component because I think the intellectual part is where you kind of helps you communicate it to other people. Mm. So just think about intellectualized like stuff as the language everyone understands. But if you overdo it, it's like over translating. It. It's like putting it in old English, but intuition mm. is a language only you understand at first. I can't mm. give you my imp like my sensations.
1: That, that's, I think that's why I'm having a little bit of tr- troubles because I guess we're trying to talk about something that's a sense and that's yes. Individual, it's like you, it's can, like talking about it's, it's sight, almost, it's
0: almost like talking it's, about, yeah, what yeah, you're yeah,
1: assuming. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very, it's very challenging, but it's so important because, oh, it's, it's the thing that's it, look when I think of it, it's po- all, a lot of positive decisions that I've made personally have been as a result of that nagging feeling, yep. that won't it just won't go away, yeah. It's a signal, um,
0: it's just, it's the most powerful signal you have,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: so. I mean, that, like, that's a big one and it's as much useful as getting you out of bad situations as it is like what you should seek and do more of, right? Hmm. Nutrition. But the, the second thing to move on, the idea that success is more dangerous than failure. So particularly in laws of human nature, he's talking about the stories of all these very, very cunning people throughout history who... People like Stalin, people like Nixon, people who really get into a big position of power because they're really, they're narcissistic and they're craving a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Rockefellers and stuff like that, really craving a lot of attention and validation and, and, and like grandeur. And then obviously they get to a point where they start to become their own downfall because mm. success just drives this, uh, uh, Howard Hughes, the old actor. Uh, Mm, that's a fascinating yeah dicaprio's played him in the movie just becomes incredibly like neurotic at a point where all the insecurities from childhood like are manifested on a very large stage so he talks Mm -hmm. about obviously all this stuff comes very much into ego understanding ego a lot better and it's a very charlie munger idea like the previous episode would have been on charlie munger for people listening and he's big on this it's like much more dangerous your success it activates your ego so much more right? you start to get this hot hand fallacy you think everything you do will mm. just be a winner. So you start making big bets accordingly. you feel justified doing things because like I know the way, I know what's right. You got stories then like how that. does that yeah
1: then like how do you distinguish between sorry to cut you off nah. then that then that could be seen as intuition almost.
0: Oh look you could mistake it as intuition.
1: Yeah that's I think so it's like
0: but you I don't know if you noticed this you kind of get this it's it's highly specific right it's not very easy to distinguish but i feel like that feeling lives much more in the head and intuition is much more grounded and i feel like some part of you i always feel it's like something's not quite right here in this confidence right but again yeah very intellectual so let's not agonize over it too much but i think no 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 I think you you feel you feel it like in the in the swing moments. Like the examples I was thinking of at this point are like the Theranos thing, which is I think they made the Netflix thing on that. We work and the story of We Work, I think is Adam. Oh, the
1: Theranos thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Theranos. That was she wild. is a very
0: complicated he she would be a good character in a Robert Green book, right? Oh, yeah. All right. The We Work stuff with Adam Newman, I think it was. Who's this incredibly charismatic leader? Meanwhile, the finances, the whole time he was raising capital and expanding it, finances mm. just did not stack up, taking huge risks, deplorable yeah. balance sheet, but like just this delusion of like, no, this is what we're doing and, and we're getting away with it.
1: If, if you want a great one yeah. on Netflix, there is, I was watching it with my auntie, fe- something about a festival. It was like oh, this massive fire, fire festival. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that yeah, character, yeah. the entrepreneur in that character is like so common crazy. He was like, yeah, everyone, everyone followed him. And like, it was almost like you couldn't question him. And then you dig a little bit deeper and you're like, hold on a minute.
0: Yeah. And they're all cult like dynamics. They're They're all like, everyone's, everyone starts really adoring the leader. They're following very blindly. It's just like I cults like this loaded word, but it's just basically dysfunctional culture. It's a very common pattern with a dysfunctional culture it has this worshipping effect and often people the people that get swept up in those things most commonly have an insecurity they're the most susceptible right so people who are desperate for a place to belong you always see it in the movies it's always like the, the the kind of vagabonds and the stragglers who are like people who have no place to go they'll go into kind the, the cult environment right because they're more susceptible they they got mm. they're so desperate for validation sense of belonging acceptance that when they find it and they find someone who gives them a lift that they don't get anywhere else in the world, they're so uh, addicted to it. They, they wrap their entire sense of logic and perspective around it and make it impregnable. Mm. So no other logic can penetrate.
1: It's yeah. It's funny if you don't, if you don't access that deeper level of analysis, because when you, when you listen to someone like that, everything's lining up in your, yeah, they, almost they, subconsciously. They, they
0: create a story that's cohesive.
1: Yeah, but also the way they communicate it, it just draws you in. Yes. Completely. Yes. And if they're very, for example, a very charismatic leader yep. will make you, even the best of people question like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because it just hits all those subconscious buttons.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're looking of, for like, cohesive confidence. narratives. Mm. You'll settle for a narrative that's cohesive, not just one that makes sense. It's like, it just has an answer for everything. Yes, like where else is housing bubbles? Big short, right? This is where people get these delusions, become very self-deluded in a very Taleb way. They're divorced from the consequences of their actions too. And like the success thing is like a real ego boost. Whereas a lot of the wisest people I think I know or you and I know, not just public figures, but even I think about like Gilly. And I think about, I have to give a shout out to Rob Bolton, who was a very, very nice man, helped us so much with launching 18 and lost and worked for 20 years as the education editor for the AFR. It's like had a glittering career in media and uh, you know, I'd always ask him for advice because he was so happy to help. And Mm. I'd ask him for advice about media and he'd always say, Joe, this is what I think. And he'd have golden advice and he'd go, but this is just my biased opinion. It may or may not be relevant To you and he'd always finish with the disclaimer even though it was in his field and gilly gilly so often does that as well he goes ah but i am just a product of my experience like i don't know if i can go beyond that and it's it's very very manga like wisdom that the real people you listen to often really give so much disclaimer to their advice because they're so cautious about this being an authority figure that you blindly listen to It's so hard to generalize advice. The problem is if you're just looking to hang off someone's every word, but these are the people who overcome this, the dangers and pitfalls of uh, success. I think like Ryan holiday, who's kind of, he's like almost like an apprentice to Robert green. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, he has that book. Ego is the enemy, right?
1: He's an apprentice. I didn't know. actually. Yeah. He learned a lot from, he
0: spent a lot of time working alongside Robert green. Um, Robert green's like a mentor to him. Friend, mentor.
1: Wow. Okay. I just would put them in the same bucket, for example. Well, that's, that's probably why, right? Easy. That's probably why. Yeah. 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 And uh,
0: yeah, he's got that book. Ego is the enemy. It's like the only way you really get stuck is when you let your ego become inflated and kind of hijack you. Mm. So, you know, there's the stories of the old Romans who had the slave walking around with them whispering, "memento mori, like you're going to die. You're going to die. It's like just a, mm. a reminder of mortality so that you really deluded diluted, sorry, like diffused that like grandeur image and just remembered you are just human, you're not that special as my friend, yeah. Paul Rouse would say, you know, and he always says, Joe, the good thing is we don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> None of us matter. And he goes, that's the biggest joy in realizing that. Cause then you're free and you can just do everything because you're not obsessed about how important you are. But yeah, Robert Green, all those stories. All these people eventually have these buried insecurities. they hide them very well, they all kind of explode in the end because it hits this really grand stage where it's it goes bonkers. It's like
1: it never ends well
0: no, it never it never ends well. It's always fireworks never.
1: those characters one thing that did stick out is they can they can never i don't know if it's because they can't see outside themselves or the ego gets in the way i mean robert green goes into a lot about that we all have those tendencies and it's more about having awareness as to when it's like being inflamed yeah but the the people the stories he gives it's almost like they they can never work with people
0: no yeah
1: or and it's like their lack of cooperation in the end or the lack of actually being able to see their weaknesses
0: yes big time
1: ends up um, destroying them destroying them Especially, who was the one one in film?
0: Not Howard Hughes. He was also. I think so. He also went into film. He was like, his dad was very well off. He inherited the airline business, and then yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So he was. uh, That was fascinating. But essentially, he thought he could do everything. Yes. And people identified that he had very specific things that he could do very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think he he was was um, engineer or a good engineer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he wanted to do everything. Yeah which meant he didn't actually listen to anyone. Yeah. Which meant that that everything was fine. All the
0: really wise business leaders recognize, oh, I can't do that. And they just get out of their own way and they empower others to do the things.
1: Yeah. It's always like like all the best stuff. They don't want to,
0: even like the Steve jobs and like the kind of tyrants and stuff like that. It was still like great at like, oh, this guy's really good at product. Like I'm great at marketing. I'm adequate at product. Like, here but like these are the standards so it's so common but i'm so glad you said that's like almost point three like we all have this stuff and this is where it's like all right we've warmed you up now time to submerge you and the number three understand the shadow how does our shadow get created like Uh. see we have we all have a shadow to our personality shadow is like the dark side right so i'll go through the notes but like basically it's this (laughs) it's almost like this idea you know there's nothing more impressive like, than my modesty, for example, right? <laughs> it's, that, it's that kind of idea. And this this, yeah. this is where I get a little bit Robert Green esque where I get quite a, a little bit my, my anger that I get pent up about. Because on social media, you get a lot of these people who are playing this. They're they happy to tell you about how much good they're doing and that they're changing the world and that they're delivering the future. And you see a lot with like a lot of entrepreneurs now who've got this they've got twitter or linkedin where they can just say their thoughts and they want to tell you about how they're going to be the ones to fix this problem and that problem and i I kind of look at it for me i look at it what it is and i just feel like it's a lot of bullshit. and i feel like it's a lot of this shadow finding a socially acceptable way to get its attention Mm. and it's it's, you you, i think you feel it on a gut level when you read this stuff it doesn't mean people are bad because I, th- I think I, I would just, I have it, you know, I'm very clear. I have it. Liam and I talk about it all the time. He's idea, you know, he has a thing where he helps you identify what your shadow is. I think mine's like appreciation or something like that. So I like to be appreciated. And mm-hmm. so it's just this thing you can own, but not kind of, you try to hide it and deny it is when you become the, the fool. Cause it's like why hide I, it and deny it is that's just, that's what the shadow would do.
1: I'm thinking back, like, when i was working in a sales environment where it was very numbers specific yeah like it just gets so obsessed with being number one or it's really bad like <laughs> you know what I mean? it's like <laughs> you you become you become possessed but then it's that possession it's to some degree a part of the success.
0: It is, is. hundred percent. It, like, it is. But it then you like. But then
1: you are dilute. You become diluted. Like. Yeah. You got to be brought back down. To that's earth, where number two otherwise. is.
0: That's where number two is, and that's where you. Yeah. Return to your humanity. You return to the fact that you don't matter. You acknowledge this. It's a balancing act. Know. It's like it is the great balancing act. Someone, everyone always shits on ego, right? They would say, "Ah, oh, that person's egotistical." Ego is not actually the negative thing. Ryan Holiday should almost maybe tweak the title of that book narcissism is actually the real term for when it's unhealthy, the unhealthy need or belief in one's significance. And Robert yeah, Greene writes a lot about narcissists. He
1: writes heaps. It has heaps of different. are incredibly
0: difficult people to deal with. They're not, I'm going to say they're not common. The average constant student, if we're going to think about them for a sec, doesn't commonly have them in their world. But I know, I know people, extended family, married into my family who are narcissists.
1: How do you... How do you, what are the cues for you? I know there's obviously a very specific, obviously you studying psychology as well. There's specific. Robert Greene's taught me way a...
0: more about it. Psychology does not teach you. Okay. Oh, let me make this I've... clear. And I'm going to yeah. make sure I mark down the point in this. Uh, never miss a good chance to shit on education system. <laughs> psychology. Didn't really know, I didn't notice. Psychology taught me. I studied psychology for three years. Taught me absolutely none of this.
1: Mm.
0: When I say absolutely none. I mean, absolutely none.
1: (laughs) Didn't go into personality.
0: (laughs) No, like they went into personality disorders and stuff, but it wasn't, the language is quite different to what Robert Greene does. And
1: it's not no bullshit. And this
0: is much more applicable. Whereas that was much more theoretical, which was fine. Yep. But he's obviously coming at this from a place of, this is what I experienced. These are the fucking bad situations. So products that come out of reality, instead of trying to, university products are not often created in a bubble like how do we make this person a psychologist versus this is the world these are the sort of people lived in it and so it's much more this is much more applicable so but coming back to the shadow Mm. ego needs a bit of self-belief in it so a good friend of mine lydia ranieri who i'll have on at some point she she taught me this like there's this thing when someone doesn't have an ego by the age of their 20s, they have no self-identity and belief at all. They call it failure to launch. And they're just like a shell with like no belief, no individuality. All right. They're, they're almost like a doormat. Whereas ego in itself is basically your like your I, your identity. It just can get overactivated. Whereas narcissism is when it becomes unhealthy
1: what what is so the tells of a narcissist yeah like the
0: the tells of a narcissist really they don't actually care about you but they often want validation and they want to be like accepted robert green points out that you can normally they're, they're quite you won't be able to tell they're experts at masking it they're experts at playing what you want but often at the start of a relationship they'll be going overboard to impress you So I have one I know of in, say, extended family, who the first time we all met, he went out of his way to pay for lunch and put on a big show and, you know, entertain and almost to, like, go overboard. So what are people overcompensating for Mm. is a big question. And sometimes you're like, oh, that's really nice. But your intuition really tells you, like, it's a bit strange to go that extreme.
1: Mm. What What are you hiding here, bud? Yeah, what are you hiding?
0: So there's a lot of that and there's a lot of... So it's often hard to tell, but then if you're ever in a situation that has any stress attached to it or, or real stakes, like you're working with someone, you're living with someone, you travel with someone, that's when you will realize, but you walking on the street, talking to someone, but Robert Green points out that you can look at their eyes. Their eyes are very rarely like really looking at you. They're always thinking about themselves. So their eyes, their eye contact will often be poor because they, they're always trying to play to you because they need your approval, your validation, but really it's all about themselves. All they're thinking about, you are just a tool to help them get what they want. And they've always completely justified doing anything necessary to get, to use you as a, to exploit you, to get what they want, Mm. because they, they've formed this idea that they're so important that that's, that's acceptable. It's like me saying what Luke needs doesn't matter and whether he's happy or not at work doesn't matter because I'm leading this and I'm going to fucking save the world. I'm going to fix the education system. I'm going to fucking do this. My podcast is going to be the best. And Luke's just this monkey. That's got to get here on time mm. and blah, blah, blah. And put in the hours. You might be
1: right, but uh, no, no, no. What, what? Yeah. I guess for me, the thing that sticks out, sorry to cut you off. No, you um, haven't. Yep. Is, treating, treating people like they're, um, just a means, you know, like, they're not like, they're a tool, they're they're like, a, they're a they're a tool. like they're not a human being. They're sort of, yep. yeah, yeah. there's sort of, and you can, sometimes I'm not sure, yep. but you can tell when someone's not listening and if it's, that's right, it's consistent. Like it's very, very consistent throughout pretty much. There's never, you know, so, someone's point. head can be, someone's head can be somewhere else. Like yeah. oh, I'm sometimes you're a space cadet. Maybe I'm not listening or, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I'm a space cadet. I go through that. But like when every single interaction is the same and you get the sense that someone's not listening and they're just waiting to speak over you. And that, yeah. that for me is the clear. It like, is
0: you've, you've nailed it. You've really nailed it. Um, going into it. So why it happens, right? So Robert green, Greens. Mm. people hide their overt impulses because it's worse than admitting envy to themselves yeah because worse than admitting envy to yourself is indicating en- envy to others so often someone will retaliate or be negative because they don't want to admit that they're jealous so that's why you get a lot of people who show anger towards you hostility towards you and they almost attack you at times Cause it's better than actually admitting to themselves that they're envy. And he says a lot of it is sh- it's, everything's childhood, right? Everything psychology, human behavior is just childhood is 90%. Childhood and society has this drive to be all perfect all the time. Right. That's why, that's why everyone gets an icky feeling when, when Robert Green books are brought up like, oh, isn't that a bit dirty? Isn't it a bit dirty Joe? So we repress anything that society would say looks. Uh, it's a like classic example, people who hide their homosexuality or if they're transgender. That's like the very salient, like, oh, society doesn't deem that su- acceptable. But we all have other things. Right? So even you go to Freud, Freud was almost very bad at communicating what's probably true. A lot of stuff around the eatable complex and attraction to parents and stuff. Robert Green goes over that a bit. It's like it's not like We just want to go have sex with every single person necessarily. It's more about when we're young, we have a separation from our parents. Like you eventually realize you're a separate being from your mum at some point. Before that, you probably think you are the same person Mm -hmm. because you're feeding off your mother and stuff. Then you realize that, so you get separated. So then you have a psychological desire to attract. And that's why you so often. Romantic relationships is all again about your, your parents, right? You always attract like someone like your, your mother, or if you're, you know, a girl, someone like your father, but it's not, it's not. So everyone's like, oh my God, that's so disgusting. It's actually just, it's perfectly natural. It's it's the problem is in judging. it. And so we have all this stuff where we repress stuff. And so this is why people react so much on social media. It's why they're so quick to get behind a cause and just be part of the, the chanting mob. It's why they always love in Australia, like the tall poppy syndrome, being able to tear other people off their perch.
1: Why does that feel good? To some, because like, it's,
0: it's a, it's a self. It's a lack of love for self or a lack of fulfillment in self that we don't actually consciously really acknowledge to ourself. So it's like you've suppressed this void that you have and you don't actually want to acknowledge it. And so, but energy has to go somewhere. So it looks for opportunities to express what's anger at the self to express it against others. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, so if in the, well, in the case of you see qualities that you admire, but don't believe that you can attain then you're going to feel envious towards that person. Yeah,
0: but you don't want to feel envious. It's not cool to feel envious, right? Whenever you no. ever, whenever we ever jumped well, on a call and go, good. Luke, you know what? Um, Joe, you know what? I'm really envious <laughs> of Dom lately. You know, it just never happens. You think yeah. what would happen if I, if I told someone I envied them, right? That'd be mm. weird. They think, what the fuck's wrong with you? What are you like a Robert Greene reader? Um, <laughs> so it's not accept- It's not acceptable it's not socially acceptable therefore you inter- int- internalize all of that and you say that's not acceptable luke you have this conversation with yourself unaware of it yourself so you say so what is it then what is that thing oh it's not a problem with me it's a problem with them because if you don't the traits you admire but you envy so instead of being able to justify you have that you try and Take them down. Mm. So you just try to bring them down to your level, to the, to your ego. That is less effort, right? It's like, I have this hole in my self-importance. Ego's priority is mainly self-importance, right? So you have this hole and to your ego, it's easy to actually just bring someone else down than it is to resolve it and, and work, work towards. It. It's more energy efficient to actually just attack others to the perspective of your ego.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating really. I think Robert Greene also is very, I hope I'm not mistaking this, but he's yeah. very into meditation. Yes.
0: I believe so. Yeah. yeah. And he, I think he's hyper he self-aware. That. He's hyper self-aware.
1: Yeah. He uses that as a way to decouple from the ego.
0: Yes. It's, it's one of the best ways. And that's what the, all these things that people talk about exercise and meditation, even psychedelics, they'll have the same effect of deflating ego. Humor is one of the most underrated. Again, I have to give Mm -hmm. a nod to, to, to good old Paul, who I think listens to this. And that's his whole thing. It's like, if you laugh, your ego is not present because laughing Mm -hmm. at yourself and laughing is a place of surrender and non-seriousness, right? So this, this narcissism and shadow thing, and we all have it, right? So I have an ego guys. Part of percentage of why I do this podcast is I like being listened to. I've chosen a co-host who's good at listening, you know, not someone who's trying to compete with me for the, my friend, Byron, good old Byron Dempsey from driven young. He goes, Oh, I was worried when you said you're going to bring someone on. Cause I love the old episodes. He goes, but Luke's looks great. You know, he goes, <laughs> I go, yeah, it works really well. Cause he's naturally curious to ask questions, but he's not trying to wrestle the microphone off me. He goes, yeah. He goes, if it was me, it wouldn't work as well. <laughs> Because Byron likes speaking, you know? Yeah. And so I'm fucking here telling you guys, I have a shadow. I love a bit of attention and appreciation. Okay. I enjoy the feeling of every time someone clicks subscribe on YouTube, I enjoy it. I don't dislike it, right? (laughs) But I'm going to be here and own it. And what I won't participate in is this fake modesty. But then, you know, when I say someone gives me praise and I say, well, that wasn't all me you also get to know that that's not fake modesty. That's my opinion. That's a genuine opinion. And that the way the world works, you only have a certain amount of control. You really need to rely on a lot of people and work effectively with other people. But that's Joe, funny. Joe has an ego guys. Okay. <laughs> Don't tell <laughs>
1: him. Whenever I think I'm becoming more self-aware, it's almost like, then I get this, then the ego sort of starts playing into it. It's like, yeah, yeah, Oh, you're yeah. becoming this, you know self-aware what I mean? Self-aware like person. This, yeah, it's
0: like and then, no, get back down. Alan Watts. Alan Watts says it's like thieves in a building, and the police come in, right? And so thieves are the ego, and police is self awareness. And so what the ego does, it just hides on a higher level. So police are on the ground floor, and then it goes up, and then they come up to the second floor. So they go to the third floor, and this is yeah. when I talk about all the people on social media saying they're changing the world, and they love telling you about it. It's it's they're actually most of them not very effective. The, the, the look and feel is that they're doing. It looks like they're doing heaps. I can yeah. tell you from f- someone in the space, but again, is that just my ego commenting to hide on the highest level? And and it is, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's also, I believe true, despite that, that that's their ego hiding on a very high level. Mm. That's their ego hiding on a very high level. The question is, it's not bad. The question is, what is the consequences and is the consequence they're not aware of it? then it's not great. If they're not aware that that's their ego, wanting to tell everyone that they're changing the world, that's not amazing. No. And if that ego prevents them from being more effective at what they do, well, why would you want to be less effective at what you do? You'd want to be more effective at what you do. So my incentive is not to destroy ego so I can be here and be Modest Joe in the black turtleneck, just like Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's my incentive. I've got to get a turtleneck. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's the new brand. I'll, I'll send it to you in the mail. My incentive is to be more effective. And this is where you can own that you do desire to be successful on some level and whatever. So, you know, I want to contextualize this point around the shadow because when you see social justice warriors and a lot of, you know, hard left people and, but even just whingers, and people who are negative and you suspect their envy, why their arguments are so illogical. Because everyone tries to reason with them.
1: It's impossible. Yeah, the
0: reason it's impossible is because what you're actually seeing is the shadow. Right? You're not talking to a logical thing. You're talking to their ego and the ego is not logical. The ego is outdated, primitive. Sub- Astro the dog. Remember Astro the dog episodes 11, 11 to 13? It's it's primal logic. In other words, it's like talking to a dog. <laughs> when you talk you talking to a social justice warrior is like having a a conscious argument with a dog that's barking it's just Just that the barks barks are in english it's it's the ego hijacking the system and trying to get energy it's trying to get Mm -hmm. a lift it wants to you know that feeling you get when you're angry and you have an argument and you just want to win the argument like they, other person's making a lot of sense, but it doesn't matter because they're wrong, <laughs> and you oh, just yeah. you just want the lift. You just want the lift. It's actually very energy based, right? It, 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 it very quick. As soon as it's an argument, it's not about what's logically true. Really, it it your ego kind of takes the driver's seat, and it's you a, don't realize it. Hundred it's, it's percent draws
1: in. you in. It does, and it's, then it's looking. But then you go back to intuition. It's like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't yes, be doing this. But you yes. keep, you know what I mean? You get yeah, that guilt, exactly. but you get that release. And then after you're like, so hell.
0: one of the, one of the kind of truth bombs around this stuff, summarize and refer to some old episodes. Ken Robinson points out very well, and Alan Watts would agree, we're living too much in this, the the head. Now mm. the ego is also, the ego is in the mind, Right. So mind is different to your brain. Your brain's that, like the actual organ. The mind is like that construct. And the mind kind of lives up here. It lives on a level of a the brain. There's no ego in the heart and there's no ego in the gut. But the heart is almost like the emotional center. Again, not literally, right? But we're taking, you You must go beyond basic physiology to have true conversations, right? So the heart is like an emotion center and the gut is the intuition center. And the ego doesn't live in any of these places. So what people like Paul, Paul Rouse and Gilly, who we know, but people like even the Alan Watts and stuff like that, but not a lot of the academic people and not that many of the business people will we'll teach you is we've got to start thinking with all three, not just one since the enlightenment, we've mainly been thinking with, with just the mind, like the very primitive kind of brain mind. Eckhart Tolle, think with your whole body. That's where the intuition is, not just up here. So, incredible. oh, fuck, I love uh, Robert Greene. Um, mm. Number four, you create, as perfect, leading on perfectly. You create how others react to you. So, this is like, you know, I always think about it. My mother will irritate and irritate and irritate me until I just get so annoyed with the nagging that I stop listening. And then it comes in, no one listens to me. <laughs> right? It's the, it's the perfect example. And it's easy to pick on her, but obviously I do it too. All right? And I was having, having a conversation with, again, Paul Rouse. He getting a lot of shouts out today. And we're talking about this idea that you are responsible for everything you complain about on some level. Like you have a percentage Mm. of responsibility for everything you complain about, even stuff others are doing, because you choose to judge them when you don't know their Robert Green story, basically. So, and, and, and we go, how do you overcome, you know, how often does that any examples of that, you know, for you? And he goes every day, he goes, I'm still doing it. He goes, it's every single day, every single day you're creating, how others react to you. So the, the other example, I think a good one is like social anxiety, uh, disorder. I always love this example. So like the self-aware person who's comfortable in their skin is at a party. Someone looks at them across the room and they think, oh, someone looked at me or they think, oh, maybe that person's interested in me or maybe they just looked at me. Right. Mm. The socially anxious person, exact same situation. Someone looks at them, socially anxious person. Oh my god that person's looking at me they can tell i'm a freak and don't belong here because social anxiety is a lot of is that insecurity around others are judging me right i don't fit in and they're going to figure it out and that's where the anxiety comes and so what they do is they have a reaction you can't avoid it a physiological reaction and uh you're radiating an energy whether directly because of your body language or just beyond what we understand And so the other person that's looking at you now does react with a bit of a, like what's wrong with that person face because of your reaction. But then you internalize that as proof. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah, that was a negative look. And then this reinforces the case that people are judging you. They're looking at you. They think you're strange, but it's created by you. I can personally relate. I used to do this a lot to women, you know, women aren't interested, right? But it's so often me creating it, not giving people a chance, expecting things to happen immediately, you know, oh, they just don't get it. And then every single uh, case is just more and more reinforcement of that idea. And so the more it gets reinforced, the more insecure you get about something, the more you're creating it. So like, it's, it's, it's a very big one. So, you know, paranoid people create suspicious behavior in their brain, right? People with low self-opinion, and we'll talk about this a bit more in a bit, self-sabotage and get in catastrophic situations, right? Like a lot of people, like the sad, the sad one is like the young guy or girl who, you know, abusive or bad parenting, who often seeks bad partners as a result because they don't really have a better that's what they feel like they deserve it's just very there's a line in a movie the perks have been a wallflower or something it's a good movie i think paul rudd like this guy's asking paul rudd character like a teacher he's like why do we you know select partners that are bad for us and he says you know we all accept the love we think we deserve or we all settle for the love we think we deserve so people with a low self-opinion often put themselves in the bad situations that really reinforce their low mm-hmm. self-opinion, and they feel like they don't deserve a success. We're going to talk about this in a bit, but like they don't they don't deserve a success. They don't deserve better. So they're actually sabotaging because of that fear. And then you you're always creating how others mm. this react. Is to time
1: you. to, like for example, say you're in a workplace. And you, you start with a belief that you can't, you, you're not worthy of, you know, a promotion or yep. the next, or I'm not worthy of speaking to this person or yep. then that just projects through your actions basically, because you'll oh, never, absolutely does. you'll never reach out, you'll sort of hold back, you won't express yourself, all these sort of things.
0: Yep. So what people tend to want in that situation is they want it to just find them or just happen to them right? So someone asked, uh, a friend of mine, uh, I want to work at this kind of company. And the friend goes, my friend said to them, oh, well don't, don't wait for like them to post a job. Like look up who the hiring manager is on LinkedIn and then look at like the company's blah, blah, blah. And then go and like present a role to them that you could do and just be it. And then even if they don't accept it, you, they know who you are. They know you're proactive and you just like, stay in touch and then something does pop up. Like you probably, that might just go to you cause then they don't have to go like mass market and hire. and the person's like, oh no, no, not going to go to that extreme, mm. but they really want the role at the company. So where's the disconnect? It doesn't make sense if we're being logical, but if we're being Robert Green, mm. we understand that people don't have that identity of seeking things because you don't want to put yourself out there, be rejected. You don't want to go through all this work and for it to not come through to really reinforce, like you're not good.
1: So how do you, my, my thing is how do you start changing that narrative? I'm going to give you my go for it. sort of thoughts.
0: Yes, please.
1: Well, it's very, it comes back to a book that we both have read is when you, well, you, can you start then doing the opposite, which is then reinforcing different behavior? Is that I how, think so. Do
0: you have an example in mind? Say for that situation,
1: I can only think of personal example. If, if you comfortable to
0: share, yeah.
1: Oh, it comes back to it comes back to when you started getting into fitness and running. For example, yeah, it's like you start with a belief that this is not this is not who I am. I'm not this kind of person. And then I guess gradually, as you start taking different actions, for example developing some consistency around the thing that you want to become you then actually start believing it and it's at a it's at a it's at a subconscious level like it's it's not something you can really intellectualize and i've had the opposite like for example whenever i progress in my career i get to a certain stage where i become very self-conscious because you're sort of at another step and initially you don't feel worthy of that I, I think this is my i don't know no, it's very this common it's just how i feel I talked to a lot of people very it's common. like a imposter syndrome or yep. you know you, you just don't feel you feel like you're gonna get caught out yeah. but then as you're in immersed in that environment you find out it's not the case yeah, you're like you're, just, you're, bit, you're, you're going crazy you're just sort of um
0: you know you know imposter syndrome's crazy. bullshit because people like mike cannonbrooks of atlassian and, and tom hanks still talk about how they feel it all the time. And you're like, but that person's not an imposter and you go, oh shit. Well, I guess I'm not an, I'm not an imposter. If it does rear its head for me these days, it gets diffused very quickly.
1: Yeah. And the how, yeah. I guess if I'll just finish off that, yeah. like, for example, Please. it's almost like immersing yourself in the environment or sort of the biggest problems I have is when I can't decouple, when I can't see, those thoughts are something separate hmm. or like you, you think that's, that's your experience and that's who you are. Therefore you won't be able to, and then you project, then you will project exactly what you're saying. Whereas if you sort of th- th- stop, I don't know, you, you need to get outside of your head and just sort of experience things. And then it changes. The most
0: helpful thing is I, I'm like, there's a lot of things I could say in response. And so the atomic, I think you're referring to atomic habits there. Yes. That's, that's a very powerful angle, right. Of the, it's always like my, my prescription often generic prescription, right. Is break things down into chunks and smaller steps, like tie the shoelaces every morning for three days. Mm. And then the, the fourth day, it's like, go run for two minutes. If you said to someone, go run for an hour tomorrow, they're like, oh, I'm not a runner. But if you just said, hey, would you tie your shoelaces tomorrow morning and you kept them accountable to it, it's, it's, that's, that's pretty easy, but you could slowly build on that. But when the first step's too big for the motivation you have or the fear you have, then you stop starting the journey and you haven't started the thousand doors yet, but you only need to go through the first door, right? So there's the atomic habits direction, which is that, and then you did touch on it's transferable. So we talked about this at coffee the other day, right? Would you guys have started the podcast if you hadn't first done running? And the obvious answer is no joke, because the podcast is about running. Mm. But I'm (laughs) Mm -hmm. referring more to like the confidence you get from running bleeds over a bit to doing other things because it's like, oh, I've gone through a difficult thing before. So anything that develops a growth mindset develops a growth mindset. But then the other thing I would say is this almost to go from the philosophical angle and work backwards um, you don't matter right? As Mm. my mate, Paul would say, and Alan, what's like reality? Like what's the reality? It's like, you're just here, you're just playing a game. Like you're just, the joy is to be alive. It's just Mm. joyous. There's no pressure. There's no, and, and then the five year question, like this death priming dilutes the the fear. So I think the combination is especially powerful and you can add another factor, which is like always, if you're in a group of people doing that thing, that's another re- reinforcement. So if it's career, if it's uh, you know whatever, if it's any any other area, like it's always more powerful if you with a group. But
1: it's funny. Uh, I, we've used in the past the don't sort of into understanding the short time frame you have. Yeah. Like you're gonna die. All those sort of things, but you can lose sight of that pretty quickly. And yep. Astro the dog our friend will just start spitting out lies.
0: Yep. 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 You 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 adapt again. And I mean, I went through this many times what you're talking about and I decided I didn't want to forget. And that's why the solution is to live it as much as possible.
1: Mm.
0: What the fuck does that mean, Joe? It means you you, you host a podcast like this or you have the formats where you talk about uh, what matter. Like I was alluding to the Saturday coffees as an, like another initiative we've started to just reinforce this, which is like, you know, a bunch of other constant studentish people and having proper chats about where everyone's at and stuff. Like, the more you live in the space of reminding yourself of what matters and the more like the effective ways to share it, uh, the more like it stays top of mind for you. Mm. Like, the healthiest thing you can do to rem- remember that is to do what we're doing.
1: Yeah that's why I crave doing the podcast after so long we've had a
0: break people won't know yeah. i'll go to number five as we kind of these will be shorter but yeah. the three layers on which behavior builds this comes from laws of human nature is where i started and just for understanding human nature they're all powerful but that is that and art of seduction are so good for just understanding yourself and other people better and here is referring to a guy an anthrop- anthropologist and psychoanalyst oh he's got long things uh john Bowlby and talks about like this first layer that we go through it's patterns of attachment between mothers and children they observe and we come up with four basic schemes like free autonomous so that's like healthy where you're not too attached but you're kind of present dismissing which is like pushing away and meshed ambivalent which is i think kind of being very clearly like non-responsive but close and then disorganized which is like being a mix of showing a mix of like affection and nurturing to a baby and then confusing it and then this is why everything's in childhood and it's so complex but it's not talked about like above that you got hostile and aggressive secure and confidence this is like the next stage of development. You develop one of these other layers on top of it. They argue so like anxious and avoidant needy and enmeshing, which is feeling a great deal of anxiety in relationships. And then above that third layer, he says, you form habits and experiences as we get older. So you're having all these interactions often like romantic stuff and all that. And then based on those first two layers, you will tend to rely on certain strategies for dealing with stress, looking for pleasure or handling people. These strategies now become habits that are set in our youth. There'll be modifications to the particular nature of our character, depending on the people we deal with, friends, teachers, romantic partners and how they respond to us. But in general, these three layers will establish certain noticeable patterns. we will make a particular decision. This is engraved in our brains neurologically We are compelled to repeat this because the path is already laid. It becomes a habit and our character is formed out of these thousands of habits. The earliest ones set well before we could be conscious of them. That passage basically is like, yeah, you're fucked guys. (laughs) 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 But you kind of start to understand, like, I don't fully understand every single, but it's also highly complex. By complex, I mean, it's like the weather. You can't just like run through a map exactly what happened to you and then forecast how people behave or what your problems are, exactly what it is. You are, every single one of us is a cocktail and every cocktail is a little bit different, which is also why it's so hard to mass treat people. And I acknowledge the good work that people, psychologists and everyone does. But you really do have to take best practice and individualize it. Cause it's these layers plus all the interactions you have that are all the interacting variables. So it's like, you know, quite messy and that's why self-awareness becomes an essential part of (laughs) life. Once you become conscious, Because like, this is understanding other people though, and interacting in the world without judging other people, I think is a very positive Mm. use of this because you go through like that person's bad. You know, that person did a bad thing to me and you actually are the one that goes around carrying that pain of judging other people. You're the one carrying it, but everyone's gone through this cycle. It doesn't mean that they treated you right. Like there's no, and there's no program. you know, there's no, like you finish high school and then like, all right, let's see the ways you're kind of fucked up and let's try and like actually work on it. So it's just like why life gets tricky. I think Luke
1: Well, you look at just one book, Laws of Human Nature, and you look at all the ideas in it, and it's just like...
0: It's too much to digest, yeah.
1: No, there's just so much, and then it's only... You're not even scratching the surface. So there's no one way. There's just no simple way to look at it.
0: No, that's why patience and understanding with people is so big. Mm. Um, Yeah, number six we're going to go through is like the impact of childhood on personality types. But I think these are worth just going through quickly as we wrap up. You had like avoidant, you had depressive, you had resentful and you had expansive. So expansive is like the positive one. And so that's like, he, he talks about greats, like Alexander, the great and Julius Caesar felt like they were descended from gods and part divine, <laughs> Bit but like the self-belief translates into high levels of confidence that others would feed off and recognize. It's like a big charisma idea too, right? Just infectious self-confidence. He goes, you don't need to indulge in such grandiose thoughts. So you don't want to get caught up in like, I'm divine, but you might feel that way. It's not something you talk about at dinner parties. But feeling that you are destined for something great or important will give you a degree of resilience when people oppose or resist you. So it talks about the WeWork guy and stuff like that. They have a lot of resilience, but they get too caught up in the grandiosity of it, so they go to the nth degree, but there's a sweet spot. There is a sweet spot where like, you you feel that and you are, but you can keep it in check. That's that's incredibly powerful because you will need that, if, especially if you're a daring person, a change maker, a leader, you need to, I saw that this with Kelvin from the community last night, Peter Till, remember Peter Till, that question, what does everyone disagree with you? You know, what's that unpopular opinion you hold? What does everyone any real great innovator was like ridiculously stupid at some point in everyone's eyes. Mm. He's talking about Kelvin Was talking about, you know, Google sounded like the dumbest idea when it began. Like no one needs to go search and find all this stuff online. Like, what are you guys trying to do? Mm. No, one's asking for this. Mm. Yeah. Like Google's like, you know, it's an empire. It's not even a company It's a fucking empire. So like to have the confidence and belief it's got to come from somewhere special other than logic like you know in a way like your logic and being able to really believe in your logic so that's powerful a big one though especially for listeners to this i see this a lot is that first one avoidant type so i'll read out the the traits right afraid of success likely due to guilt in childhood about overachieving more than siblings or other people Often like to set unrealistic goals that are not achievable in this day and age. So they don't have to confirm the fears that they aren't good enough. They frequently withdraw, despite all that they're afraid of success in situations that confirm they're not good enough. They often have short-term relationships and a lot of talk about projects, but not a lot of um, action. So they're driven by fear of failure, but afraid of success too. This is someone who needs to avoid. And so you get a lot of these big talkers. It's the idea that you want to in your brain, like, yeah, I could do that. And you say it out loud, almost cause you're actually trying to convince yourself and you're overcompensating. So you see these people all the time, but then you don't actually go and do something cause you're too afraid of, again, that confirmation that you're not good enough,
1: hmm.
0: it's a very, very big, right? It's very common. And so a lot of this is childhood rooted you got a depressive type who often did not feel loved or respected by their parents. So they internalize that because they can't come to terms with the shortcoming in parents. It's actually, you always hear like, uh, it's common in divorce for children to feel responsible and it's often a way of internalizing it. So they don't have to take their parents off a pedestal. It's just like, I don't know. Very interesting. I haven't experienced that, but deep down they'll feel ashamed, but not understand why they feel this way. As adults, they will anticipate abandonment, loss, and sadness in their experiences and see signs of potentially depressing things in the world around them. These types often have a secret need to wound others, encouraging behavior such as betrayal or criticism that will feed their depression. They will also sabotage themselves if they experience any kind of success, feeling deep down that they don't deserve it. And so dealing, and I, I, I dealt with someone like this who dropped out of our book project A week before I read *Laws of Human Nature*, so I was like, "Damn, we tried to really uplift the person." But I was like, "Fuck, where was this book a week ago?" It goes, "Never try to to lift up depressive people by preaching to them about the wonderfulness of life. Instead, it is best to go along with their gloomy opinion of the world while subtly drawing them into positive experiences that can elevate their moods and energy without any direct appeal." That mm. is like personally for what we try and do in the community and the whole open doors for others. That is so powerfully true. I can't uh, speak highly enough of that. Like insight, it's the it's that idea again of like the person doesn't have the identity yet that they can go do something, and so you preach them about. But like, and you're often the people trying to enable, often such a healthy, happy place because they've gone and done stuff, they've got momentum. So like, no, 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 it's all good. Like you know, it's almost like talking to someone about getting on a ride like no it's completely great you know but a lot of what it does is actually convinces them that yes i'm low self-opinion i'm not good enough other people are they're better than Mm -hmm. me so joe talking about how wonderful it is and how i can do it and other people can do it actually just confirms yes they're good enough i'm not and you often get these really dumb excuses from people. So I think sometimes people do the self-sabotage thing in very, like, very trivial ways. Like they say they're busy, they don't show up to stuff, and you just think they're sloppy or they're disorganized. And there's lots of very subtle things people do to sabotage when the underlying thing is they don't feel good enough for it. And they want to avoid the... It's like sh- not showing up to the audition or the job interview because you're nervous hmm. someone just goes, that person's disrespectful or, I've done it a million times, but like a lot of people are actually self-sabotaging convinced and they almost, you create the, you, you know, you create that behavior in other people. And then they, they're almost creating a trigger for someone to criticize them. Like you did this wrong and they're almost creating it subconsciously to revalidate and you're probably thinking, why the hell would someone do that? It makes no sense. But the ego is a creature of familiarity, right? Hmm. It's more interested in familiar. What's familiar is safe. Even if what's familiar and safe is actually depression or being angry, it identifies with it. It's like, I don't know what, uh, success feels like. It's actually scarier because if I don't like success, what does that mean? Or if everyone can see that I'm not good enough on a larger scale, that's terrifying. I'd rather be depressed. At least I know what this is like.
1: It's funny that the process, because I've definitely been there.
0: I think we all have,
1: mate. And <laughs> more more like, and I'll continue. I feel you continue to be there whenever you're pushing your previous limits. Yeah. Always. always like you. Always, always, always. So that's almost like a constant, depending on how far out of your depth that you think you are, yep. it's sort of a constant. And it's, it's like through that self-awareness, you can maybe push yourself and then like similar to what you're talking about, then you experience new things that are contrary to what you actually believed, which is then how you. You have
0: to slowly, you know, like in yeah, stream. Yeah. It's like, remember, it just remember changes. With you guys was like, Hey, just start, a, start a little project. Like the, the simpler, like the simpler, the, st- so the, the mistake we used to make was pitching someone on the whole journey, mm. right? Like you could do this, it'd be a podcast now, but then if you get enough listeners, it could be a business and you could quit your job and blah, blah, blah. And we used to like, like, look, how great this journey in front of you? And sometimes it's good if someone's ready for it, if someone's fearful and, and all that. They're not, con- and also just like not consciously committing to that yet. And they don't have that identity for it. So it's like, it's like trying to sell them a dress and it's like, I'm a man, dude. I wear, I wear jeans and shirt. Like you're trying to sell me a dress. That's almost what it's like. It's like, that's just not for me. I'm not that sort of person. It's a beautiful Mm -hmm. dress, but like, I'm not going to wear that. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, once you go through the, the journey of like small steps, right? You can gradually ease into that identity. And that's why you have to be incredibly subtle with people who have a very low self-opinion. You have to be very cunning and creative. And so that's why Robert Green, I mentioned that funny bit at the start about him taking Lewis Howes, who's very sweet and naive. People have egos. He says, You always got to, everything in this is subtle. So when you think it's all evil being this strategic and all that, like I do this all day, every day with people. Cause it's like, they have a fear, they have doubt, they don't identify it, but they, I can see from their behavior. They love doing something they wanted. They kind of internally want to do more of it, but they won't re- identify with it. So all day, every day, I feel like I'm playing this, fu- this fucking game with people and it's all in the subtle. It's all one kid said to me, he goes, um, oh, you and Liam spend all day kind of tricking me into doing things that tricking me into doing things that are good for me. It's the funniest thing in the world.
1: <laughs> but that's what you do with this. It's like whenever that's what you, you have to do. You, you have you to be incredibly to subtle. Yourself.
0: My mum doesn't want me telling her how to improve her life. And you know what? I said to my mate the other day. I go, I don't. I know that I don't want to hear it from people, mm. unless I'm in a really particular headspace. He goes, I like to think I'm open to it, but he goes, but like, no, I appreciate your self awareness. I go, yeah, like you, you resist it's the ego. Again, your ego wants to feel like it's in control. It wants to feel like it's choosing it.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's very, that's a good point when someone, yeah. When someone that you are, that you're close with or you trust tries to point something out that will benefit you, you do instantly like shy away from it or just think that this person doesn't know what they're talking about or, yep. you know, all, all these, all these things just spring up and you're like, But then that comes back into intuition and it's like, you know, they're right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're always chipping away at that person, even if they resist you. So Mm. you are always making some progress. But, you know, my mom would always say, I told your dad to eat healthy. And as soon as he goes to fitness trainer, fitness trainer says it and he does it straight away. He goes, he never listens to me. But, Mm. you know, it's like the thing, it takes it, you have to see it seven or eight times before you can buy, like... You were actually the first step in the funnel. You were the first exposure to the idea. Then there was an external person who also said it. It's like when I started doing debating, my mum had been le- lecturing me for years at high school. And then a teacher pulled me aside and said, Joe, I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, Mum said it, and this teacher said it, so I'll do it. But, you know, teacher gets credit for the sale, let's say, but mum played a part. Mm. So you're often not the one who gets to claim the victory but you played a role.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Oh, it's that's so it's point. so
0: important, it's branding, you know. It's it's I'm repeat, t- you know. It's it's very big.
1: Well, it's like I'm thinking about meditation for example, which is like something I've been thinking about a yeah. lot in the past. Yeah. And then I don't know, it always seemed very airy-fairy and then I dabbled with it and then I was listening to listening to Sam Harris yeah. and he was talking about it and he framed it in a way it's like you no, know, it's like training your brain. Yeah. The same way you physically train your body. Yeah. It's this. It's the same, yeah. you know, and it just resonated with me. And it's like, book, you just click, Yeah, it clicks this with you. As a salesman.
0: Mm. It's got to be sold to you. We made that episode. But that's just... Like every, everyday life skill sales.
1: But that just resonated with me because I can relate to physical training. Training,
0: yep, yep.
1: From a running perspective. So it's like Perfect. very individual.
0: Yeah. Well, this is a great leading on to the final one, which is seven. Get inside the mind of others. And the way Robert Greene teaches us to get inside the mind of others is not to be obvious about it. He goes, mm. you can't just sit. Yes. Like people think they're clever because they ask you questions, trying to lead the horse to water but he goes, but that's still too obvious. And what he actually encourages us to do is like, like, so you got to get outside of what you think and you got to like try and How is Luke looking at this? All right. So what, what is he actually saying he's interested in now? How can I align what he seems to really want, with what he's saying he's interested in. So like, oh, I wanna, I wanna have more peace in my life, peace in my life. It's like, so Liam, you know, he wants to talk about meditation at a school. And he said, yeah, it can actually improve your sex life. And he threw it in there because he knew it'd be a curveball and knew he'd get how do you get young people interested in meditation? It's like, oh, oh se- sex life. All right. And now we have interest. Now you have my attention. And so this, this idea of like, everyone's such a complex soup of conditioning and childhood and everything. So how do you actually understand them? And he goes, don't pepper them with questions, get them to do 90% of the talking, often sliding in a question about their childhood very subtly and when you can like get it in. But most, the majority of it is in the listening and people are not used to, people love talking about themselves, but they won't admit it to you. And you can kind of trick them into doing it by asking a very, again, to refer to kind of Paul Rouse, he's very good at it. You know, I, I think I talked to you about this. He's like, ask someone about their shoes. It's like, oh, just, I love your shoes. And he's very good with, like Gilly, very good with body language. And I like, can tell a lot about a person from the way they walk and stuff like that, Just a bit creepy, <laughs> but you know, you can start a conversation about the shoes and then it leads like, oh, where do you wear them and where'd you get them? And then open and he'll expand it out from there to get them talking about themselves. Like, oh, you walk, walking, who do you walk with? Like, I'm a big runner. Who do you, who do you run with? He goes, oh, you know, never tried running. Any good? Where do you do it? How long you been doing? And you've started from something very innocuous. You've gotten someone talking about themselves. I started applying this a lot to dating. It was the number one thing. Cause he always teaches you, Robert Greene, like speak less. There's not much you accomplish when you speak in a conversation, right? You normally can only make things worse or, you know, offer a small thing. So he says, speak less, you give away power when you speak, but when you let someone else talk, they then reflect positively on you because you've let them talk and you've listened and you've been attentive, All right? You always, in a date or a good sales conversation, I know I'm doing well, when they start feeling guilty, like, oh, I haven't heard anything about you. And, uh, but like, if it's about understanding them, which is like the objective here, it's to get them, yeah, talking so you can start to understand what they, what they gravitate towards talking about. And so then you're also seeing their perspective and you start to get a feel for what that person will be receptive or not receptive to as well. Mm -hmm. And I think you do this, whether you know it or not, probably very uh, subconsciously with sales. I would imagine. And you had a point before about separating the real from the fake. I don't know if you want to quickly go over.
1: Yeah. I don't know, yeah, but I felt that was
0: relevant to this.
1: No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, I'll go into that in one second. But the uh, yeah, Robert, Robert Green makes the point that people in in their interactions are very, he says that no matter, you're always chomping at the bits to speak always. And he said, you've got to tame that and do exactly. The exactly opposite. what you're talking about. It's become interested really in the interested in the other in, person, but actually it. listening yep. and interested as opposed to just like, wait, I think he says, instead of just waiting to speak and yeah, pretending yeah, yeah. you're like, you've
0: got your thought pinned and you're waiting to say it. Yeah. You're conscious of the fact like, that and like be processing yep. what they're saying. Good pickup. Yes. Thank you.
1: Yeah. But, and that, that applies from a, from a sales perspective is like, you're just so much more effective when you're actually listening and asking directed questions and then just helping the person find out what they actually want. Yeah. Like, wh- wh- why, why do they want to, they come to the own, they come to their conclusion about buying something. You don't tell them oh, anything. Yeah, I
0: should have mentioned that. I, exactly. Like the best sales, all right. Is definitely something I've improved at is when you just get them. So for the student, let's say constant student yep. and someone, young persons applied. I'm like, let's jump on a call. And I say, so what's happening for you right now? And they'll go, oh, you know, I'm just trying to do this. I want to work on this idea, but I'm just intellectually isolated. And uh, and so once they say that, it's like, well, I'm sitting here with a a community with people who are like you, Mm. right? And I can't fake that if it's not not what they say. I can't put that in their mouth. But as soon as they've said that, they've sold themselves because now it's like, I go and I refer back and I say, you know, when you said you were intellectually isolated, obviously that's why you're here, right? Mm Because obviously we've got this. So now instead of me saying, uh, assuming, so it's actually quite easy once you just shut up and listen, sales is the fucking easiest thing in the world. Because they've said it, but where people think sales is hard is, oh, they didn't say that they needed it. How do I plant the, how do I fucking DiCaprio them? And Inception it in their mind. (laughs) but like you don't (laughs) they're not ready how do i
1: how do i persuade this how do i persuade persuade this person to buy this it's like real persuasion
0: is actually more about just getting revealing in a delicate way i think that's the real good intention persuasion
1: well think about walking into a store and this person comes up to you and they're sort of just going 100 miles an hour like this is like (laughs) they have the enthusiasm this is fucking you know, this has got this, this, yeah, this, yeah, it's yeah. going to change your life. It's like, you haven't asked a single question yeah. as to like, how is it going to change my life?
0: Yeah. I came in here to say, return something. So yeah, thanks yeah, for telling it's me. Like, that, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that's the example sort of, we're always, and yeah, it's hard because you always want to speak. Oh and yeah, for sure. Th- that's the thing. It's always the default is to tell your story. Or to, yeah. to, I'm right. I'm all these sort of things. So yeah. anyway, the,
0: the real from the fake. I think
1: the point, yeah, yeah. So, so there's a quote that's from from I can't remember exactly what chapter it is, but basically says to distinguish between the real and the fake, ignore their words and the aura they project, focusing on their deeds and the details of their life. So, big. that's so I mean, big. it's huge. Okay, okay. Think of think of all those personalities that sort of hit you like a ton of bricks, yeah. and they persuade you with their words, and like they've got this it comes back to that thing where they're ticking all those subconscious boxes. Oh, it must be. Hmm. The message must be great. Hmm. But then, but then you like dig a little deeper or you start and you see big tell is like the way they interact with people or the way they treat people doesn't necessarily map what they're saying. Like maybe they're sort of, you can see people talking, talking badly about someone behind their back or all these different things that are sort of go, I'm talking about a leader for example a yeah, quote-unquote yeah. leader it's like this doesn't add this doesn't really make sense <laughs> this doesn't add it's like so robert green makes a point like always just analyze their actions and basically the promises they keep to themselves and other people the way they listen all these different things that are not the words and the aura that they present, no, which is a big idea. Don't
0: pay attention to I've learned that. Don't pay attention to what people like we always said, what do you need? You know, what do you want more of? And people like, oh, I want an accountability call in the community. Then we put on an accountability call and no one shows up. <laughs> so from a even on that level, you learn, all right, but actually, what are people already doing? So for example, you and the podcast, Luke, this podcast, I mm. was like, Well, Luke yep. and I already have these conversations. He already asks a lot of questions about what I think about things. So instead of like, Hey Luke, would you come on and do this first? It was like, oh, he already does it. He'll say yes, as long as he's available. Mm. So the question is not like, would you do this new behavior? It's actually, would you do this same behavior with me in a more formal way and come on the podcast? Yes. And so I didn't have to really ask you intellectually, if you would do it, I really just look at your behavior so this is my approach to hiring. So I apply this to every level of my life. My approach to hiring is, does this person already do this without really needing to be asked? If they already do it, they'll do it in a role where they get paid. As long as there's no insecurity, like saying, I don't want to get money for this. More or less, but a lot of people try and hire you to do something you haven't done before. And sometimes you can do it if the circumstances permit and it's to try it out, so go for it. but you know, they will do it when they already like demonstrate their capacity. There's a lot of people like real estate agents who would recruit people from a furniture store or, or JB hi-fi where you like electronics. It's like, you're a good salesman. You love talking to people. Would you do it selling something more expensive because you're already doing the behavior. You don't have to ask mm. them if, oh, are you interested in property? Do you want to be a real estate? Agent? You don't need to ask that. You can look at their behavior and no matter what they say, you're separating the real from the fake because behavior you can trust. What people say is bullshit. I'll tell you one thing today, next week, my whole life would have changed. So what I said no longer applies, but you can audit my behavior. And so when it says the events of their life, you know, it's like, has someone been through all these rocky relationships when I was hiring for real estate, I would look at their CV and the first thing I'd be interested in is have they hopped around a lot? Or have they spent a lot of time at each company? And if they were like three months here, four months here and all that, yeah, sometimes it's a good reason, but if it happens very often, it was Mm. immediately disqualified. If they've been there that place two years, that place two years, that place six months. Okay, why were you there six months? So this person qualifies for a phone call, right? All right, why were you at that place six months? Explain the situation. Yep, Mm. employer and all that. It's like, all right, that's plausible. So then you know this person's durable
1: mm.
0: and relationships. So the biggest mistake I made in my last relationship romantically was not finding uh, enough about the person at the, at the start. Like I, I a friend gave me the advice later when I was having problems to, to go and actually ask more personal background about what's your relationship like with mum and dad what are your past romantic relationships. Like, cause he says, I ask that like, as soon as I can, Because you're dealing with it, whether you know it or not. And if the person's real and it's going to work out, I'm going to want to know that stuff. So if they're not willing to go into it, yes, it's not the very first conversation at coffee. If they're not willing to go into it at all, that's to me, one of them, (laughs) it's a filter. Mm. So it's no real actual loss, but like you were dealing with that stuff. So like you want to know. Because you, you can't lie this stuff we're talking about today. This, this impacts you. So the final thing, I don't, I, realism versus optimism versus pessimism, right? Are very different things. And everyone thinks that the Robert Greene is very pessimistic and all that. Now he doesn't use, he says, I don't use most of the stuff I write about. And I always looked, I always looked at it like a mirror. I look at his books as like, not, it it feels prescriptive. Like you should go and do all this stuff. And that's a big problem with books and films. Like you feel like four-hour work week, you think, oh, this book's trying to tell me to go work four hours a week. So it's very hard because the author always says, but that's not my message, but they unknowingly send that message. That's come up a lot in this podcast, right? We've unpacked that with Naval, Tim Ferriss, but what I really look at Robert Greene as is a mirror reflecting back to us what humanity is really like. What the mm. situations we're in are really like, and he subtly reflects what Hollywood was like in 48 laws of power. Cause he saw these power games. People just wanted power and he's, ref- so I think it is realism. All right. I think it's just reality. And I, I do think of it on one level as I just take from it what's valuable. I think I was at a mature enough place when I engaged it. I wasn't 21 when I, someone told me about Robert Greene. I'd read a lot of DeMello before. That. So it's like two years ago that I really found out about him when Scott suggested the books. Mm. And so when I've gone through it, being a very interested in human behavior as I am, and I can tell you it's been majorly influential in our constant student work where we obviously try to the ones that are most interactive in the community, like yourself, we try as much as possible to understand people in a very deep level because it's uh, completely relevant. <laughs> if someone's risk taking and, how they're interacting in a work environment and everything like that and how they're going to perform in their career and all that is a completely relevant that their psychology is inseparable from that. It's a gimmick to divorce it from that conversation, absolute gimmick. So I find it incre- incredibly useful and enlightening. I think it's the potential to help. And he as a character if you watch him in interviews and listen to your intuition when you watch him talk. And this is something i'm big on when you're looking at people you love to look up to and celebrities so gary v i get a very different feeling in my gut when i'm watching gary v than when i'm watching seth godin or uh, robert green talk and like robert green it just you, the gut feel is this is a guy who's present he's highly self-aware he's a very good man he looks like an incredibly good man i think he's doing a lot very positive for the world but Gary V, I I get a different feeling. I can see like he's in a good present place today and he's having like a really genuine, and sometimes he's got that the hustle monster kind of thing that he's quite famous for <laughs> the and monster. there's an arm wrestle within all of us. Right. And so you, some, you mm. can feel it, this video versus that video and you can feel it when you watch these people. And so the, the real from the fake, I think the intuition was a, like a really big point really big point today but that honestly that's that's my take and i probably should have asked for yours first before i jumped in with my take on him but do you have a like a kind of wrap of of what we just discussed and your big takeaways um, from him as like a result of all this kind of stuff or
1: yeah big takeaways i think it comes back to how i introduced robert green or how he was introduced to me it was at, at that stage of life where i was very into You know self like the self-help initial self-help stages where you've got almost like a naive view very i still might have a naive view of the world but like a very naive view of the world in the sense that like yeah just not 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 having an understanding of the shadow side not having self-awareness around like robert green you said it very well it's just a mirror of you know your own tendencies how people will navigate how people navigate the workplace depending on the environment. There's just so many different dynamics that are involved that you, I mean, you'll never fully understand, but it's giving you more of a tool, more tools to go out and sort of understand um, different environments you're placed in. So I think, I mean, I haven't even finished reading laws of human. <laughs> I think I'm like 55% on my Kindle. See, finishing. I, don't so even, I wouldn't even
0: say if someone's listening to this. I wouldn't even say if you feel like you should go and read and finish it on a gut level, not like an intellectual level, it's hard. Mm. You have to learn that for yourself. What the difference mm. is. Um, like, oh, it makes sense to versus like, hell yes. Like I am really excited and compelled and curious to go finish it. So that's, mm. it's trusting that feeling. You know, like so, the yeah. reading. So many people are up here with the reading in the brain. Like, I should finish that book. I feel guilty. It's like mm. normally you shouldn't actually put any compulsion on your reading once you've built a habit around it, or feel guilty because it's really gut will tell you gut is procrastination yeah. is healthy. You know, most mm. procrastin- You know, everyone's at school thinking, "I don't want to study." There's something wrong with me. Maybe I have ADHD. Hello, Ken Robinson. But really, what's the reality? This shit's boring. The gut is giving you the only one telling you the, the freaking truth in those yeah. situations. And I saw a video today saying the same thing about burnout. Like you're burnout because you're doing something unnatural. By definition, it's a natural thing. It's more. It's
1: gonna draw the energy away from it's you. Draw the energy 100%. away. So it's that's, but, that's, um, that's Robert, the big
0: thing with Robert Greene. He's it's deep, right? Big books, big big books. But
1: yeah, it's but it's i was reading i'll give you an ex- like i was reading laws of human nature and it was at a time where i was reading through per- different personnel like those personalities and actually it helped me being like oh shit like you can identify uh, because it was like you could see the the example of someone yeah, and yeah, actually yeah. then you then you see that's... at a deeper level how it's impacting different dynamics um yeah, I d- definitely don't want to go into detail, but... Yeah, well, you know, you
0: think like, about parents, you think about friends, you think about partners, you think about work, any, boss, you, you have to think, you can't read it and not think about people closest to you. It's not negative, but it's just, I'm just saying that's... No, no, it's not the negative, but then... behind behaviour.
1: Yeah, but then it illuminates your own understanding of your own dark side, or well, sorry, shadow, the shadow... Yeah. Yeah, your own shadow and your own like narcissistic tendencies that really need to be tamed and can get out of control. And like I was talking about before, when you get to a elevated self-awareness and then you're like, so then self-aware. you start, yeah, you're like, oh God, I'm back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I must yeah, be the most self-aware person. People
1: just don't understand.
0: <laughs> the modicum of modesty luke smith and joe weeby well mate uh, yeah it's, it's but, incredibly profound
1: it, yeah and i think i think robert green's the kind of character you'll sort of be thinking about for a long time mm. and his work is unparalleled i mean it's 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 massive and it's like it takes a while to it'll you probably can't digest it in your lifetime <laughs> it's like to <Taleb. laughs> yeah, yeah they're very dense. Um, very dense but yeah a great extremely influential person to delve into so very Um, good idea going into this Joe. yeah
0: no what a phenomenal and fun episode a bit long i don't Mm. think i'll chop any of that i think we'll just whack it up at two hours it gives a two
1: hours yeah i'll make a
0: trailer with some clips and highlights maybe or whatever but enjoy i think it's a resource i'll time code it on youtube and stuff like that to help
1: very cool happy with the new format
0: it's the new format long form baby open to feedback (laughs) um yeah open to feedback for sure So yeah, any other highlights anyone wants, just jump in and uh, jump on the newsletter, like The Doorman. It should be at the Everything Joe link in the description or the show notes, and that's where you can stay up to date, get consolidated insights instead of maybe some of these longer episodes and stuff. That'd be my only kind of call to action. I don't know exactly who we're doing next, so stand by for that, which is exciting. But we will have probably another episode, I'm assuming in a week, but we are reinventing, so... You know, be patient. But thanks, Luke.
1: Thanks, Joe. See you next time, keep op- I'm happy to be back. Happy
0: to be back. Keep <laughs> opening doors.
1: Keep opening doors.